Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, I am thrilled to welcome Bradford Shannon to the show. Bradford, welcome. Hey, Jeremy, how are you? I'm doing great. Bradford is a technical project manager over at Citrix, and we're going to have an interesting discussion today about unusual career paths, for sure. And I told Bradford not to tell me too much so that I would be surprised. And then we'll also talk a lot about basically sales tech stack lifecycle. So that would include things like selection, implementation, administration, and optimization. So we'll, we'll cover off on both those topics. Bradford, I'm going to ask you the same question. Hopefully people don't get bored with me asking the same question every time. It's because I selfishly want books to read if there's something I haven't read. But I'd, I'd love a recommendation from you for a sales book. Or feel free to take that in any direction and maybe one or two tips you got out of that book. My favorite sales-related book is actually a gift that my father gave me when I first took on a leadership role at Citrix, and it was a weekly coaching conversation. Uh, it's a, a fable about uh, a cocky sales manager uh, named Brad, uh, ironically enough, who thinks he's the best leader because he gets an award. Uh, it turns out he's not really a leader. He's just a manager. He has a conversation with a guy at a bar named Coach, and it turns into a pretty interesting fable that uh, I learned quite a bit from. Is it called Weekly Coaching Conversation or it's something else? Yeah, The Weekly Coaching Conversation. Uh, and I think it's uh, a business fable, blah, blah, blah. You can easily find it with those first four words. You mentioned that concept of like, it turns out the person is a manager, not a leader. In your mind, what is the distinction between those two things? The big distinction between a leader and a manager in my eyes and from my experience is really showing your team the right way to be. Just having an attitude and a mentality around yourself and your team that you essentially not only lead by example, but you just are your best version of the people that you coach. Yeah. So you're in revenue operations now, but it looks like, you know, you're older than 25 probably. So you must have been doing something. And I'm curious what this is before you got into revenue operations. So where did your journey begin? I left college very early. I went to school for programming and graphic design because that's been my content creation and, you know, creative mindset, something I've always been interested in technically. Grew up around computers. My family's old school veteran IBMers and, and SaaS employees. So it kind of was natural for me to go the technical route. But I realized that the schooling system or, the, or maybe the school I went to it was very slow. There was a lot of backtracking and I wasn't motivated. I left and I went directly into sales. I started on the ground floor selling cell phones back in uh, 2005. After that, I, I really had an idea of how to drive myself. Before even a year in, I actually took on a, a management role. I had my own location. I was a coach. I was a leader. And I actually taught what I had learned very early on and was not only a manager, but I was a, a veteran closer. So I had to do a lot of business closing there. So you were working in B2C sales in a retail storefront. Yes, exactly. We were the guys in the kiosk that would ask you about your cell phone service. <laughs> I'm curious if you remember any stories of like some most amazing moment maybe and the most challenging moment you had. Really, the first time I listened to uh, a leader that I was not, I didn't think I was motivated by, he was very high energy, somewhat negative, and just push, push, push. And I took his advice. He told me, Brad, stop taking no for an answer. That's when your job begins. And that's when the gear started turning. That's where I started showing success, or at least emulating success <laughs> uh, in sales. 
I'll make this hyper specific, right? So I'll tell you how I shop. There are probably two facets of me. One is there's this concept of people who are maximizers and satisficers. Maximizers, they want all the details, right? And then they're going to compare and contrast. It takes them a little bit longer to purchase. Also, when I walk into a store, and I don't know what percentage of people are like this, like I don't actually want a salesperson to walk up to me and ask me, how can I help you? I just want to do my thing before I'm ready. And then I want to approach a salesperson instead. I'm sure I fit a profile. How how are you taught to work with people who fit my profile? The best part of that, Jeremy, is I mirror that profile very closely. I go into a situation. I'm the epitome of an inbound lead. I know what I want. I walk in the door. I've researched it. There's a chance that I know more about it than the person trying to sell it to me. First time I've met someone like you, it was a conversation. I just actually related to the person and found out what they needed. And it helps me today by just uncovering a need. What's the most common profile of uh, people who come in to buy a cell phone? Easy targets. You can really break someone down. At least back in the day, there was it was a very competitive market and there was a lot of options. If you were able to promote a good solution and just like with a, a difficult sale, with an easy sale, if you're able to uncover that need early on, you could have somebody standing at your kiosk for three hours and sell them a phone. Was there significant training or was it all on the job training from that high energy manager that you mentioned? <laughs> it certainly started there. But when I took on the role prior to Singular going under, there was an extensive training program. They sent me, you know, an hour and a half away in my own state. You know, we were coached. We were brought through a, a very, not I wouldn't say rigorous, but a very specific sales process. It was somewhat aggressive initially as it felt that way. But yeah, there was definitely a full-on sales training. And uh, as that company started to kind of go under, I noticed that that sales training started to dissipate and I became the sales trainer. So, you know, you, you've been doing this for about a year and then all of a sudden, I guess you decided to make a change. What was next for you? I decided to pick up and move to New York. I was there to take care of uh, some people and I decided, you know, it's a growth point for me. The company had started to go under. So I realized, you know what, here's an opportunity to learn. And so got in a car, went to upstate New York and started doing a little bit of everything. I wanted to really experience anything from bartending to crazy grease hood cleaning operations where we would be the people who literally make sure that McDonald's and Chinese restaurants don't burn down, behind the scenes type jobs. From there, I just really realized what I didn't like. Uh, I kind of grew that way. And, and I realized that life is harder than you believe as a kid. You know, I'm 20 years old. I'm a couple years outside of my parents' house. And after that, I took on a management like love and I ran a kitchen. I came back to North Carolina where I live now and I helped run an Italian restaurant and pizza place. I started in the kitchen, then I started running the kitchen, and then I moved on to running the restaurant. People thought I owned the place, but I was there as a 22-year-old, ponytail-wielding, nice person that seemed to have an affinity towards people. I lasted about five years before I decided to make a change and go into baking. I made pastries after that. It was a big, big uh, aspiration for me to continue to learn something in the culinary arts. I, I didn't want to go back to school, but I wanted to produce something more. I'm curious what you were more drawn to. Were you more drawn to the, the pastry creation, the artistry of that, or were you drawn to the bakery business? A little bit of both. <laughs> I'm a dough person. That dough needs to be well-made. And in a business like an Italian restaurant slash pizza place, we made our dough from scratch. We knew every ingredient, every ratio that went into it. And it really started with knowing that I was not going to own the restaurant and I didn't want to open my own. I found an opportunity to work for a 
production bakery situation. So I was there to learn on how to, one, make an artisan pastry from scratch. I thought that was fantastic. I'm a big cheese Danish guy. I don't know about you. <laughs> but I wanted to know what goes into the production of something so good because not only did we make thousands in a night, but we would make amazing pastries. I do like a good cheese Danish, that's for sure. Although a chocolate Danish will be the cheese Danish for me. So it's actually production bakery environment as opposed to like retail. So you were, I would assume, distributing to retailers who would then stock the product. We were a company that was acquired by Whole Foods and we produced specifically for their storefronts. We were the cookies, pies and cakes and pastries, croissants that you would see in the display shelves every day. How long were you working in that production environment and did you think about maybe starting your own? I was at the company for close to five and a half years. I did this thing early on in my professional career and I'm apparently still doing it where I start at a position where it's all about learning. I'm brand new at something. I like the experience. I like to be better than anybody else at it. And I wanted to work my way up in the company, but I didn't see that happening. And luckily, an opportunity at Citrix opened up. Were you looking for the Citrix thing? I mean, you're there baking. I don't know that recruiters are necessarily coming after bakers to work in sales operations and strategy. How did that opportunity come about? I'm lucky enough to have one of the best friends in the world who started his career at Citrix in support. So he helped me network into Citrix. By the time I interviewed, I interviewed twice. The first time was a very slim chance. There was some good competition. They were only filling one role. But less than a year later, at the age of 30, I interviewed when they were trying to hire a handful of support reps. And they loved it. I barely had to interview. They remembered me from the first time. By that time, I had close to 14 references internally at Citrix. Were those all friends that your buddy had also referred in? Is he, was he just making bank off of all those referral fees? You guessed it. I've been at Citrix for four years. Over the last four years, I want to say he's referred probably less than 10, maybe six good referrals. We've essentially extinguished our supply of tech friends that would be good employees. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, yeah, I would assume now that you're joining a big tech company, we talked a little bit about training before, but I would assume training is way more rigorous. What sort of training did you receive on the support side? The training process when I started was a week, if not two. It's hard to say because it was a very rigorous uh, process where we met all of our senior reps. Every rep kind of had their own course that they'd put you through. I now work very closely with, because we've all essentially shifted towards the sales enablement and sales engineering organizations at Citrix. But one of my favorite trainers that was part of the enablement team is actually one of my colleagues on the sales engineering organization as a leader on that team now. I know in the support world, oftentimes people will either go up the pathway in terms of support management, or they will make the jump over into support enablement. Was that your initial move before you moved into sales enablement, or those things are the same as Citrix? I moved straight towards the leadership role when I found myself familiar enough with the processes and the KPIs and any performance-based tool or number that we were trying to hit or initiative that I saw leadership gunning for, I was attuned to it. So I was putting out feelers for that, doing initial conversations prior to roles of even opening up, trying to say, hey, I'm interested in this. There's no guessing with me. I want to be a manager for this organization. And when that role did not open up, I was put in a very unique position where part of the company had been let go. And 
I reported remotely to a, an office in California for the first year or so at Citrix. And when that office closed, that put me in a very unique position to take on a leadership role specific to that product. So as a team lead, I moved right into a role and started taking on some extra responsibilities everywhere I could. And that was a support team lead, is that right? That's correct. Yes. I was kind of moving away from a more technical route. That was always an option as well. What was the most challenging aspect about leading support teams? Support is a very difficult job. Whenever you call into someplace or you're dealing with someone who's trying to help you, they hopefully really want to help you. And if they do, you'll be able to tell right away. But trying to lead by example and be the best support rep that I could and knowing my own limitations basically meant I was the person with the most patience. I had to do all the hard things, the dirty jobs, the, the difficult customers that came straight to me. So when I call in for support, I'm the kind profile. Like I know this person has my fate in their hands. Is that profile common, the sort of kind person looking for help or you get the more angry people? Definitely more angry people. Everybody thinks they know or they've tried everything or they did not cause the problem or they're not the one sitting in the seat making the mistake. It's somebody else's problem at that point because they've decided to reach out and ask for help. It was a commonly held belief that the customer is always right, but that subtlety has gone away a bit. Is that something you were taught the customer is always right, or there were situations where you were empowered to be a little tougher with the customer? By my fourth year in running a restaurant, I learned quickly that the customer is not always right. And <laughs> that was a tough pill to swallow for me because I too, I tend to be very empathetic and I like to show kindness over anything and, and stay positive. But unfortunately, in a good number of cases, it's a pull and tug against the reins of correctness and doesn't always land in the customer's lap. That is awesome. Since we probably won't be able to dig into all the facets about sales tech stack lifecycle, right? Selection, implementation, administration, optimization. Where's the piece you think has the most leverage when you're a revenue operations professional? Implementation and adoption are the key factors to using, piloting, testing, deploying a product period. If, if you don't focus on your end user, you're not going to see success. I learned that very quickly because when you try to tell a salesperson that their job is going to change in some way, they need you to prove them wrong. And that's not the easiest hill to climb. How do you win the hearts and minds of sales professionals as you deploy new tools? What's your approach? We led with success. Prior to actually piloting the tool, we had been performing a pre-pilot and developed a strong group of SMEs. Those SMEs were fantastic salespeople, very smart, and also willing to adapt and change and understand that what we were trying to do was help. So I presume those subject matter experts were maybe, when I've done these pilots, that you choose people who are, they're people who are early adopters, they're people who other people look up to for their success, willing to take a risk. What are the characteristics you looked for in those subject matter experts that make them good candidates for pilots? Being in the enablement slash tools and systems is, I guess, my technical team name. We were attuned to the salespeople themselves. Uh, my leader, my manager, he ran a sales team. My colleague, he was on the sales team. I'm the only one from my team, as far as the tools and systems team goes, that does not have a Citrix sales background. So I came in with the support mentality, with this willingness to just make sure things work and know why it needs to work a certain way. And I let my colleague and my manager kind of help mold my strategy to best fit the business. 
as you move through your career, you know, leading revenue operations and taking on more responsibility, is that something that you worry about of not having carried a bag as a salesperson? Not anymore. There was definitely that initial just feeling that imposter syndrome, as it's commonly called. I came into this role. I went all in on my presentation. I had never been a project manager. I had previously managed projects, unbeknownst to me, uh, successfully. And going into a role that's backing sales, I learned it from the ground up. That gave me a fantastic advantage because we were in the point of a transition at Citrix. We were moving away from a homegrown CRM over to a more commonly used around the rest of our organization to better fit the total mold of Citrix post-acquisition of a, of a startup. What's the ultimate end goal for you? Because you never know, I guess, where you're going to go. But where are you thinking about career trajectory-wise? Well, at this point, the sky really does seem like the limit. The way that I've been ingrained into our sales process and how our business works, I could probably do any of it at this point. Not to say I could be a director at a big company, but there are a lot of facets of building and designing a tools and systems team with my team and, and myself included that have put me in a position to continue to grow in, in really any direction. I would like to take my current expertise and just serve more, have a bigger impact on the revenue stream of my company as a whole. Because I took this job with one thing in mind. I want to make my company money. I don't want to be a salesperson anymore. I want to take a salesperson and push them up and let them continue to do what they love doing the most. Bradford, thanks for being on. If people want to learn more about Citrix or get to know you, what are the best ways for them to do that? Really, if you want to find Bradford Shannon on LinkedIn, that's probably the most professional way to do it. I love to have sales conversations and just meet new people. Thank you, Jeremy. It's been a pleasure. I did warn you, I'm not your average Joe. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thanks, Bradford. Thank you, Jeremy, so much. Have a great day. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.